Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live lead. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right, we are in the house on this cold, cold, cold February Valentine's Day Sunday here in 2021. Thanks for being with us tonight, folks. Always glad and honored that you would take time to join us. And I hope maybe we got a few extra listeners tonight. We're all kind of staying in, staying warm, uh, hunkered down in our little bunkers <laughs> as if we hadn't, as, as if we haven't been before already, right? We've been uh, kind of hiding out in our houses. But to, this weekend, even more than before, I guess, we've not only got the, not only contending with the virus, but also this cold weather. Um, so glad you're with us. This is Soapy Dollar. Stacy is staying home with with my grandson <laughs> tonight, and uh, she just gave us a call and glad that Grandpa made it to the studio all right. But uh, Stacy is going to be. She might join us during the hour, um, but you know, just kind of getting the kid out of bed and taking care of herself. She and the family were awfully worried about Grandpa getting out on the streets tonight. And uh, making my way to the station, but we did. We made it just fine. I uh, hope you're somewhere warm and safe, and not only not only warm temperature rise, but hope you're somewhere where there's lots of love and uh, just all around you a good environment of family and loved ones and people who care about you. And we want to add our names to that list. This is the Bible Live. We've been reading this past week. Our readings have come from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we finished up Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, we've also read the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, during the Christmas season. And we come back now to the Gospel of Mark, the second of the four Gospels. Which, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, uh, these are what are called the Gospels. Each of them have the primary theme of giving us a portrait of Jesus of Nazareth, of his life, his ministry, and they are not they're not strict histories necessarily in uh, chronological order. Um, I think they are generally so, but not necessarily uh, in chronological order, and not necessarily written in concert with each other. Each of these uh, gospel writers, Matthew and John Mark, is called. Uh, this is a young man that uh, it's not explicitly stated in the message, in the gospel, but uh, this book is a, a traditionally attributed to John Mark, uh, John being his Hebrew name, Mark, his Greek uh, uh, Roman name, a missionary companion uh, with Paul and Barnabas. If you look in Acts chapter 12, the first missionary journey, journey uh, John Mark, I, or was it the second? 
John Mark set out on the on the first on the first journey, I believe, and but he left. It, maybe the got too hot in the kitchen. Maybe he was too young. Uh, maybe uh, we don't know what the reasons might have been, but he left uh, the journey, and that caused a little bit of a schism between uh, him and uh, Paul, who felt like he had kind of been abandoned. But good old Barnabas picked him up. Barnabas, uh, in case you didn't know in the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, Barnabas is a peacemaker. Barnabas is a discipler. He is one who who, um, definitely have the gift of of, uh, what what is called exhortation or or, or, um, encouragement. He he took people, even like Paul, uh, when Paul went to... uh, um, Antioch uh, of Syria and was trying to kind of, after his conversion, he was trying to kind of get involved with the church and the church didn't want to have anything to do with him. They'd heard about his bad reputation that he had uh, persecuted the believers and putting them in jail and so on, even was the um, primary mover or or sponsor and the uh, martyrdom of uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr uh, that recorded in the book of Acts. And uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with Paul, converted or not. They did. They mistrusted him and uh, didn't didn't really want to get uh, put themselves in danger. But it was Barnabas who took him in and uh, mentored him uh, and presented him to the people under his auspices, under his protection to the church and um, got Paul moving. Well, the same thing happened now with John Mark after he left uh, the company of that first of that missionary journey with Paul, uh, Barnabas took him in and uh, worked with John Mark, uh, encouraged him, built him up. And later on, when Paul is in prison in Rome, he says, send John Mark to me for I have use for him. He would be useful to me, uh, which is a great little uh, a little word of, of um, reconciliation, a word of of friendship and the healed relationship, um, I'm I'm sure to a great extent because of the influence of Barnabas, uh, who stepped in there to. Uh, he's a peacemaker, a healer uh, among people, uh, but John Mark is traditionally thought to be the the author of this book, the one who wrote it. But he probably wrote essentially the memories and the perspective of Peter. You will remember also from the book of Acts that uh, Peter was once put in prison and uh, an angel released him. There was a prayer meeting in John Mark's home, actually. Uh, and his his mom was a believer as well. And there was a prayer meeting and uh, Peter was released from prison by an angel and uh, he went to that home. He knew that there were friends there. Maybe he even knew they would probably be praying for him there. He knocked on the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda went to the door, <laughs> and and uh, she was she was so startled to see uh, Peter at the door, even though they had been praying for his safety and for his to be set free. Uh, she left Peter standing at the door. She was so shocked. Uh, to see him, but that took place at uh, John Mark's home, uh, 
it is thought perhaps that John Mark wrote this gospel primarily from the observations, the memories, and the perspective of the Apostle Peter. Uh, but John Mark wrote this uh, gospel early on. It is uh, a thought to be the earliest of the four gospels. Uh, it's the second in, in, in our row, Matthew, then Mark, Luke, and John. But it is thought that Mark was the first of the four gospels uh, to be written, probably somewhere in the late 50s or during the, the 60s, uh, there before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, it, it is written. Uh, let me see what else I could tell you about John Mark and about the Gospel of Mark. The general purpose, just as uh, Matthew wrote about Jesus as the king of the Jews, that was his perspective uh, that primarily he was presenting to a, a Jewish audience, not exclusively, but primarily directed toward uh, uh, Jewish men and women, telling them, stating the reasons uh, the credentials that Jesus had for being the king of the Jews, for being that long-awaited, predicted Messiah that the Jewish people had been had known about and had been waiting for and even praying for for centuries, in fact. Uh, Matthew's perspective was Jesus, king of the Jews, Christ the king. Mark's perspective is Christ the servant. Uh, he, his is the briefest the shortest of the four Gospels, not only the first, but uh, the shortest. He's very active. Most of he uh, he records more of the uh, miracles that Jesus performed than of any of the Gospels. Um, he's most active. He has l less long um, sermons and long uh, reading sections. He moves from active from action to action. Jesus met this person, then this person, and he went to this village, and then that village, and this. So he, he moves quickly through uh, activities of Jesus the servant. That's his, uh, that's his major perspective, Christ uh, Jesus in his servant role, um, capable of healing the sick, controlling nature, battling the powers of Satan, uh, his theme of the suffering servant comes through uh, in his narratives, his story of uh, Jesus' interaction, for example, with hostile doubters, uh, the Jewish leaders who want to kill him, Roman uh, leaders and politicians who who are uh, worried and scared of his influence and, and perhaps wanting to help remove him. Uh, his neighbors take offense at him, even his own family members at one time, uh, chapter 3, we read in the Gospel of Mark, his own family members uh, claimed at one point that he's crazy. Now, I, I, that, that you have to take some of this, uh, some of these passages. 321, it says that Jesus um, entered a house and crowds began to gather. Uh, soon his disciples couldn't find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Uh, but the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed of Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. And that's where we get that wonderful uh, quote that Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? A, king, a kingdom divided 
against itself will collapse. And then, of course, that became a famous saying, uh, a quote, uh, uh, I think Abraham Lincoln mentions it, that in terms of the civil war of our nation, you know, a kingdom, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so, but Jesus was talking about, uh, he was responding to that accusation that he and his uh, works and his ministry and his message came uh, by uh, that Satan was the author. Satan was the motivation and the power behind his ministry. And that's where you have that famous passage. He ends up saying, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They cannot be forgiven. Uh, this is a sin with eternal consequences. And, of course, the reason for that is the the redemptive plan of God is all about the Messiah. It's about the role of Jesus, this this Savior, this Redeemer, who he who knew no sin would become sin for us. He would live out a perfect life of faith, trust, obedience, submission to the Father as a man, live entirely and totally uh, empowered by and guided by and um, responsive to the work of God the Father and the Spirit in his life. Jesus didn't do anything by his own power, his own authority, his own uh, initiative, his own prerogative as God. That's something that we need to talk about tonight. If you recall last week, I asked you, how did Jesus know that he was God? How did he come to know that? Now, most people think that Jesus was somewhat like Superman. Um, somewhere, maybe some people think always, even as a baby, Jesus was never really a baby. Jesus always was conscious and a mature man, God himself, omniscient, all-knowing, and so on, and even as a baby. I remember when we lived in Europe and ministered there, I, I got a kick out of what you would go to. If you go to Madrid, for example, uh, there's some very famous and well-known uh, painters and artists uh, from from Spain and, of course, Europe in general. You can do the same thing. You can go to the Louvre in, in uh, France to these famous places or the, or the British uh, Museum in London, and you find tremendous amounts of art. And always figuring among the art will be pictures of the Madonna, pictures of uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Jesus sitting on her lap, and always got a kick out of looking at those pictures because, uh, you know, you have Mary there, humble and and uh, gentle and a little shy maybe with her halo on and everything, and you have Jesus sitting on her lap, and he's he's in a little baby's body, no doubt about that, but. If you just put your hand up and you just kind of look through your fingers at his face, and he looks like a fifty-year-old man. <laughs> he, like you know, he's a little baby, six-month-old baby. But you know, he he's he know all the wisdom and knowledge of the world is there. He he knows already who he is consciously and so on, and he's just pretending to goo goo and gaga and that he can't speak. He's just pretending, and and a lot of people believe when they think of Jesus. Uh, they they think of uh, if they think about if they ask themselves this question how did jesus know and when did he know and find out that he was uh, the messiah that he was the son of god and god incarnate um 
And, you know, it's it's a question that sometimes we think about it, but maybe we don't think about it very long because we think maybe there's not an answer. And we it's just sort of a mystery to us. And there's no doubt about the fact that the incarnation at some level uh, is a mystery. It is it is almost imponderable how the king of the universe, the creator of everything that exists, the uh, this uh, second person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, these three persons that we see in Scripture, at least, that uh, comprise the, the Godhead, the, the one true and living God of the Bible. But there are three distinct persons in the Godhead, and they are said to be one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And, of course, many people struggle with that, the idea of what is called the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, it's, not, it's not impossible. I'm not saying that it's not a mystery at all. A lot about the God, the King, the Creator of the universe and all. A lot about God is a mystery to us who live in time and space, who are mortal, uh, and live in a physical you know, world that, uh, that we live in. A lot about the timeless, the eternal nature of God, his holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, his omniscience, omnipotence. A lot about God is beyond our comprehension, uh, at least comprehensive in, in, in total. We can un- understand the concept of some of these things, uh, of omniscience, of knowing everything about everything. Uh we kind of get the concept of it when you start trying to ponder it and think about, hmm, what, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Uh, what did God know and when does God know it? And and how does that factor in with the idea of the free will of man? I mean, the free will of man and so on. If God already knows what we're going to do, remember that um, advance notice doesn't remove responsibility, uh, just as I know my children were going to be uh, sinners. And I, I knew my children would would be selfish. That my children would be rebellious at some level, at some time in their life. <clears throat> they would have a hard time playing with other children and sharing their toys and and obeying the mom and dad. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I knew that was true, but that didn't remove the responsibility for their actions and activities and attitudes when they actually behave that way. So... Uh, there's a lot of these things we have to think through in time, and I think that's part of what the, um, the what Paul said when he said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as a child, but when I became a man, when I became an adult, I, I did away with childish things. Part of that is we get a more mature, well-deliberated, more mature view and understanding of some of these great truths. Well, I want to speak to some of those tonight in our dealings, in our looking at the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> and I'll start with that one <clears throat> idea of the Trinity. And I do want to put out our phone number, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. Uh, we're going to be looking at questions and uh, teachings and concepts that come from the Gospel of Mark principally tonight, although at the end of the week on Friday, we, on Thursday, we ended the Gospel of Mark and we went back and picked up where we left off. We left the people of Israel camped on the east side of the Jordan in the book of Deuteronomy, listening to the 
the uh, sermons and the teachings of Moses, the last four messages that Moses delivered. Before and then his death, Moses' death, and then under the leadership of Joshua, uh, the people of Israel will now, they are poised and ready to cross over the Jordan and enter into Canaan, into the promised land, and begin the conquest of Canaan, as you know, um, starting off with the Battle of Jericho. We'll see that, uh, and then we'll start seeing the adventures. of The book of Joshua covers about 25 to 30 years, um, the first years when people, the people of Israel enter into the Promised Land. It takes them about, um, if I remember correctly, I think it's something like seven to eight years of of intense battle as Joshua enters with the people of Israel. They cut through the center of Canaan. Uh, they divide the, the, the warring uh, uh, defending kings and forces in two by going through the middle of Canaan. I understand that this battle strategy that, that Joshua uh, led, that used in the book of Joshua, my understanding is that it actually has been taught and studied uh, at West Point and our uh, those who study warfare and tactics of warfare, uh, that this was one of the great um, illustrations of a of a technology of dividing. They went through and divided the nation, and then they defeated the kingdoms of the north, um, and uh, and then those of the south, and then those turning to those in the north. I believe it was so. Uh, we we're going to see that about uh, some years there of battle. Uh, I think eight uh, seven to eight years of intense battle. And then they went into a time of about 15 years where the different tribes were to go out and finish what is called the mop-up, mop-up action. They were to finish the deal. They were to clear out the enemy forces and the Canaanite uh, peoples, uh, those who followed in worship and, and did not, those who, occur for, who, of course, converted and followed after God and... and uh, uh, came at peace where they they were allowed but those who continued to practice uh the perverse uh immoral practices of the those pagan religions uh, they were to be defeated and driven out of the land and uh, that that was that takes place in about a 25 year period basically uh the, the covered by the book of Joshua and then we go into the book of Judges where the tribes begin to uh, each of them exist, and we see, uh, we see this. Uh, they did not have a central government; they did not have a king, uh, but the tribes function and work together. And we'll study the book of Judges when you come to it. I'll tell you all about it. It's an amazing, astounding, remarkable time in history. It covers a, about uh, about three hundred years, generally. Uh, the the people of Israel. Uh, in, under the judges, and then we come to Samuel and the first king of Israel under First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and the, the era of the kings, uh, the monarchy, in in Israel. So that's kind of the way the historical, big historical view. Uh, we'll go back, and we've started back and picking up the book of Joshua in uh, after the, the last of this week. But first, let's let's continue to talk a little bit about the Gospel of Mark. And I do have that question out there for you. One is, 
I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the Trinity. And if you would like to call and give me a thought, your thought about it, how do you understand the Trinity? Uh, how do you, and uh, there is an old saying that says, if you, if you un- try to understand the gospel, the uh, Trinity, you'll lose your mind. If you deny the, the Trinity, you lose your soul. I, I don't happen to believe that. <laughs> uh, I don't think the Trinity is an overwhelming, total, absolute mystery, and I'll talk about it in a bit when we come back from our break. But if you'd like to give me a call, I'd like to talk with any of you, some of the ways that you've come to look at the Trinity. Uh, the God of the Bible, without doubt, is presented as three distinct persons, each of them with all the characteristics of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will, and each of them, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, as we come to know them uh, through Jesus the Messiah. Uh, that formula is kind of uh, formalized and uh, under Jesus' teaching, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We have these three distinct persons, each with independent intellect, emotion, and will, but each as well with all the attributes of deity, and but they are one. Uh, and so I would ask you, how do you understand that truth? And then we're going to talk a little bit about how did Jesus, the Messiah, what is the nature of the um, incarnation? How did, what was it? What was going on, really? What really happened when Jesus, when the second person of the Godhead, became a man? What does that mean? You have a clue, John? <laughs> Hands in the air. All right. Well, we'll come back in just a moment. This is Soapy Dollar on The Bible Live. I hope you'll stay with us. We've got some wonderful teaching as we look at the Gospel of Mark uh, tonight. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, that's what we're trying to do here, warm their hearts. Beloved brother, I'm trying to be the beloved brother, warming our hearts together in the Word of God. The rest of us, too. Hopefully that will warm all of us together. Uh, thank you, John. Great choice for tonight. <laughs> Did you know it was going to be so cold tonight when you chose that song? I, I, I chose it after I got here. Oh, okay. Uh, so you, warmth was on his mind. This is the Bible Live. This is Soapy Dollar. Uh, glad to have so honored and glad to be with you this evening. I hope you're enjoying a little chance to think through a little bit of our of our understanding of this book of books, the Bible, the Bible live. Uh, We read this past week, we finished the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Now, I keep saying we finished reading it, and you're saying, well, I didn't read it. Where did you read that? I want you to join us. I invite you to join us on our annual journey, uh, our annual reading through the entire Bible. 
Uh, we start at the, at the book of Genesis in the first part of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Then we read Matthew. Then we read, uh, read uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then we've gone to the Gospel of Mark. And just on Friday, we turn back to the Hebrew Scriptures again and pick up there with the book of Joshua, as I mentioned before. But we read through the entire Bible every year, and you're saying, well, where do we read it? I, don't, I didn't hear you reading it. Uh, we used to do that on the radio from 2001 all the way to 2000, and I don't know when it was, uh, 17, I guess, when we stopped the Bible reading on the air here. And we went, I believe it was to, at that year, to the uh, Internet, and you go to our website now, thebiblelive.com, or you can go to the uh, AM630, The Word, AM630, The Word, that's the uh, the radio station's website. You can go to thebiblelive.com or am630theword.com, and you can find our podcast, and there you'll find each and every weekday, Monday through Friday, there's a 15 to 20-minute reading from the Scriptures and the entire Bible. We read through the entire Bible every year. So I invite you to join with us. Go to thebiblelive.com, uh, go to our podcast, and you can find all of the readings all the way back. Uh, you can catch up from the past. Uh, and if you look at this week's readings, you, you'll see that the readings for this coming week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, are already there posted on the website, thebiblelive.com. Now, you'll find other resources and encouragement there. There's some articles about the Scriptures, about the Trinity, about other uh, some of the most frequently asked questions about the Bible. And uh, you, could, you could check in there and find a lot of information. Plus, you can find a, a list of questions that we use on the broadcast, questions that come from these Bible readings. For example, I'm looking right here. I have 29 questions that came from Mark chapters 8 through 16. That was the, the passages we read this last week. And I have 29 questions. And then I, from Joshua chapters 1 through 5, which we read on Friday, I have 11 questions there. And they're just questions to help you learn, to help review the passages. Uh, some of them, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of uh, educational value and so on. Uh, let me read you a question or two from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus healed one man in two phases. Now, this is the only time that Jesus ever did this. Uh, it, it looks like if you read it, it looks like it took Jesus two tries to get this man healed. Uh, he, he was a blind man, and Jesus touched his eyes, and he said, What do you see? And he said, I see men as trees walking. In other words, and we kind of get the idea that it was blurry and he didn't see, you know, he saw he could see a little better, but he still didn't see perfectly. And then it said J Jesus touches him a second time. Uh, I believe he, he uh, places uh, a little bit of mud, takes some, you know, some dirt and with spittle and applies him to his eyes. And uh, and then he says, um, now, what do you see? And he said, uh, "I," he says, "I see, I see perfectly." Let me see where that is exactly. Chapter eight, verse twenty-two. Uh, uh, let me see, Mark. Hey, I'm gonna find out here. I don't have that right. That passage is wrong. I'll find out where that is, uh, and uh, I'll find out where that is. 
we'll find it for sure. I've got that passage wrong here in my questions. I'll try to find that and straighten it out. So the idea was, though, he put uh, touched his eyes again, and this time it took uh, it took, and he could see perfectly. Now the point is, it, the question is, Jesus healed one man in two phases. Uh, from what ailment? And it was blindness. And uh, the point is, well, how do we understand that? Did it take Jesus two times? Did uh, what was going on there? And maybe you can give me a thought about that. Why did it take Jesus two times with that particular person? I guess I better find out where where that passage is and get that straight so that you'll be able to look it up and answer the question um, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. He heals a blind man, and I'll keep looking for it here. But that's one of the questions. Um, there it is. Uh, it's chapter 8, verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid hands on him and said, Can you see anything now? And he said, Yes, I see people, but I can't see clearly. They look like trees walking. I see men as trees walking. There's a little bit of interpretation given in the way this reads in the New Living. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Now, I I would be able to take that. My understanding for many, many years was that that is, this was a healing that took place in two phases uh, because it took him two times to, to heal his eyes or something like that. Uh, but a, a, a little bit of a Jewish perspective has come my way through my good friend Jacob. And when he read that, he, he quoted a passage. He saw in that a passage from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and he saw no no that would this was this was a Jesus respond as Jesus often did in his healings he responded to people's faith to a great extent and this was a person um declaring his faith remember that the the Jewish idea of a man is that that we live human beings live on two dimensions one is a physical dimension uh the world we and then there was a spiritual dimension to our lives as well and if you look at psalm 1 in the hebrew scriptures you'll see an example of that blessed is the man uh let me let me find it for you real quick psalm chapter 1 begins with a blessing oh the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating, meditating on it day and night. Listen, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in their season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And there you see that idea of a tree uh, that has its, its fruit and the leaves and so on. But also the reason for it is that they're tranted, planted along the riverbank, and under the riverbank they are, their roots are tapping into the water and the nutrition uh, of the spiritual dimension. And that's the idea 
the, the, the Hebrew idea of humanity, uh, that we are not only physical beings, uh, that biological aspect, but we are spiritual beings. And so Jesus is here talking to this man, and he says, uh, I see trees as... When he says that, he's saying, I now understand that men are, that human beings are spiritual beings, that we are like trees walking. We, we need, there's a spiritual dimension. And Jesus responding to his faith and his understanding there, uh, then his eyes are opened and he sees completely. Now, uh, th- there's no way to know exactly uh, from, the, from the passage that we have but it makes a lot of sense to me as when you put it together with all of the different miracles and healings that Jesus, quite often his action and his work in people's lives in some ways mirrors the faith of someone that he is dealing with. And they're sometimes the sick person himself, other times maybe a parent or another person that he's working in their, through the, their faith in the life of another person. So that's just an idea there about... Uh, these questions, that question is listed. Jesus healed a man in two phases. What was going on? And kind of helps you to think it through and maybe get an idea. So um, let me ask you this. Jesus is uh, speaking to Peter in Acts, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8. Peter, we know from this passage and other uh, gospels, Peter had just made his great pronouncement that that Jesus is the Son of God, um, thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and so boy, Jesus Jesus says, "Well done, Peter. You know, you've not thought of that yourself. Only God Himself has revealed that to you." And so he compliments him. But then uh, we understand then that Jesus talks about his him having to go to Jerusalem and to be arrested, to be tortured persecuted, and then to be uh, unjustly tried and executed, that he would die on a a cross. Uh, And and Peter says, oh, no, that can't happen. We can't have that happen. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And so what in the world? Uh, Again, we see Peter understood a little bit. He understood something. He had come to understand that Jesus was indeed the Son of the living God. He was indeed that Messiah, that Redeemer. He took that in, but his understanding of the role of the Messiah was still darkened. He still didn't understand. Maybe he still had the idea that what the Messiah was all about was overcoming the Romans and and giving um, freedom back to the Jewish people there. Maybe he had a ethnocentric view or a, ge- or a geopolitical view of the role of the Redeemer, of the Messiah, uh, of God's redemptive plan, and he didn't understand that that it, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world, as we read in the book of Revelation, and that Jesus had come to die, just as the apostle, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, John the Baptist had said, Here's the Lamb of God who who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus understood that he had to die, that it was his role to live out a life, a perfect life of faith, trust, obedience, and submission to the Father as a man. And then he who knew no sin would become sin for us. He would give up his life. 
And when that happened, a deeper magic, as C.S. Lewis called it, takes place. Uh, and that time, death begins to work backwards. Um, so and that's kind of mysterious itself. Uh, if you can get into the understanding there of, of what, what it was it that C.S. Lewis saw about the idea of when an innocent, perfect human being gave his life in sacrifice, voluntarily sacrificing his life for another, that uh, death begins to work backwards. A new, uh, a, a new understanding, a new life begin, rebirth takes place, and uh, we become born again and begin to live uh, our eternal relationship with God. So anyway, I, I'm telling you that on our website we have a long list of questions that will pro- probe and provoke your thoughts and your understanding of the Scriptures. And you can always go to thebiblelive.com and read through the Scriptures with us. Then here on Sunday night, we get a chance to talk about some of those passages, some of the things that we read about, and um, try to understand them. Now, I'm still waiting on a phone call, 210 340 9585. I would still like for someone to talk to me a little bit about your Christology, the the doctrine and the the understanding of the Messiah in Christology, the incarnation. And I want you to answer a couple of questions if you can give me a thought on these. And by the way, if you do call in and give us a contribute to the program, we're going to take down your names again, put them in a hat, have a drawing at the end of our program, and I'm going to give away a brand new copy of the New Living Translation of the Bible. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, translation of the Scriptures, the New Living Translation by Tyndale Publishers, and it's got all the study notes, the maps, the commentary. It will be a great asset to your Bible study and your understanding of the Scriptures. And we're going to give one away at the end of our program today. So if you give me a call, 210-340-9585, maybe you'd like to take a shot at one of my questions. One of my thought, I'd, I'd love to hear someone tell me a little bit about your understanding of the Godhead, your understanding of the Trinity. How do you understand the triune nature of the God of the Bible? Tell me how you explain it and how you ex- understand it yourself and maybe how you can explain it clearly and help a young believer, someone who uh, hasn't wrestled with that or hasn't come to an understanding of it, how you can help them understand the Trinity so that they will will not be puzzled and just overwhelmed by it, but they'll say, oh, I get it. Sure, that makes sense. And and forevermore, as they read the Scriptures, when they read uh, about the Godhead, about the God of the Bible, uh, the different in, in members of the Godhead individually, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, or the three of them together, they will have a clearer, a better way to understand it. Uh, it won't be an obstacle. It would be a great asset to their understanding of the Scriptures. So how do you understand the Trinity? <coughs> now, I do. I am aware. <clears throat> I know some of you will be very fast to want to give me a call and say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, and I know that... For, is true, but the concept of the triune nature, the plurality of the Godhead, is there, uh, and, and it's not just a New Testament understanding. This was there as well in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they struggled and wrestled with the idea there. Uh, but I'm asking you, in light of the Messiah having come and what He's told us and taught us, how do you understand the Trinity? And then, secondly, I would like to know your understanding of the incarnation. 
How and when did Jesus uh, of Nazareth come to understand that he was indeed the Messiah? How and when did Jesus uh, come to understand that he was that long-awaited, promised Redeemer, Savior, Messiah, hero uh, that had been looked for for centuries? How did he know? And and on top of that, uh, beyond this, that thought that that he was indeed God incarnate, that the Messiah would indeed be uh, a, a person uh, of the divinity of divine made flesh, God in flesh. How did how and when did Jesus come to understand that about himself? What how did it when did it happen and what was the process? If you'd like to give me a call, the phone number is two ten. 340-9585. And Tracy has called in first. I'm glad you're there, Tracy. Let me get find my way over to the... There we go. Hi, Tracy. So nice of you to call. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, I have uh, two things I want to say. One is uh, referring back to the, um, the uh, blind healing and stuff. Um, one thing I've heard from some people that sat right with me uh-huh. was the fact that maybe... Um, that Jesus used it to show that there wasn't just one way that he heals people, like that there was multiple ways sure. that God can heal people. And so that sat right with me when, and I don't know where I heard that from. Yeah, but it, it I would make sense, uh, you know, that, that, you know, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't have to do it the way we think he has to do it, right? You know, in exactly. Other words. So and, I get it. That's good, Tracy. Good, good, good thought. Okay. And um, um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is you were um, thinking about uh, uh, explanation of God and stuff. Um, I recently, well, I guess within past year or so, um, had a sort of an enlightenment that I don't know if I even heard from somebody or something, but it sunk in to me that um, about the triunity uh, uh, of God, whatever. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and just. Of course, you know, you know, being Christian forever and stuff, you know, we, you know, Jesus baptism, we have the three forms, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, yes, uh huh. So, and you know, the God says, you know, this is my Son, who I'm well pleased, and then Jesus being there to be baptized, and then the the Spirit descending like the dove, whatever. So beautiful picture, isn't it? Right, but um, the what what was new to me, or what was a a revelation, was. uh, just an old uh, Old Testament, um, just using the Old Testament. So if you needed to speak to like a Jew, or a Jewish person or something, uh-huh. you know, and they don't believe the the New Testament, so you can't use that. Um, was the fact that uh, you start in Deuteronomy uh, six four, which says, "O hero Israel, the Lord your God is one." Uh-huh. And so, and then you take them back to Genesis and say, "This is." man we made them in our image which was plural uh-huh and then back to deuteronomy 6 4 which is you're to love the lord god with all your heart all your mind and all your your flesh all your strength strength whatever uh-huh. so each person each one of us has a heart mind and strength and we are only one person right so Good. if we are made in god's image and we we make him like us. We're only one person. We are in God's image, and we have a heart, mind, and soul, and we are only one. 
And so that was a hero. The Lord your God is one, but we're the commanded to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we are only in one and made in his image. That is my, uh, I guess, enlightenment for the triunity being of God. So. All right. Proud of you, young lady. That's very good. And that's the Have way you ever we, heard? Yes, I have, actually. That's the way we learn, and that's the way we, we take one little step, and we get the concept, and it enlightens us and excites us. Uh, uh, you know, the, the concept of uh, uh, love the Lord your God with our heart, your mind, and strength. And, and, and we not only are we... Uh, we are said to, but also we're said to be, if you look in uh, Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that Paul even states the idea that you will be made complete and whole in body, soul, and spirit. So he clearly kind of points out there the aspect that we are created, that we are triune beings in some level ourselves. We are one person, and yet we have these three dimensions or aspects. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he is called, For he who has called you is faithful, which is also a beautiful verse as well. But okay. really, really good, Tracy. I'm so proud of you. And by the way, we're putting your name in that hat. A famous hat we have here in the studio and if if uh, we draw your name at the end of the hour uh, of our program we're going to give you a brand new copy of the new living translation study bible so i, I, okay. I wish you blessing in that little endeavor i hope the, you can win it and um now then let me tell you one idea and see is there another call no let me give you another idea and i'm just going to throw it out there I'm not saying doctrinarily, oh, you got to believe this. I'm just saying, here's a thought. Is it quite often when we try to understand the, um, when we try to understand the triune nature of God, we think math- mathematics. We think, oh, how can three be one? That's just, oh, it's so overwhelming. That can't be true. And I'm going to encourage you, don't think mathematically. Don't consider the the great mystery of the Trinity being a, a miracle of arithmetic. Think relationally. The Father, the and the Spirit dwell in perfect harmony and union and oneness of relationship. When it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, don't think numerics, think relational oneness. Uh, and uh, I'll just leave you with that much for the moment, and we'll come back and explain it when we come back from our break, Okay. Okay. You're awfully sweet to call in, Tracy. I appreciate you a lot. Uh, hang on. Let's make sure, see if you're going to be the winner of our Bible this evening. And if so, I'll, I'll tell you how to pick it up here at the station. All right? All right. There we go. Tracy calling you. You can give us a call as well, 210-340-9585. we got one more segment to come up, so get on the phone, 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. Like a frost on a rose Winter comes for us all Oh, how nature acquaints us With the nature of patience Like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow Boy. 
You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Segment of the program this evening, the Bible Live. You can go to our website, thebiblelive.com, and hear the Bible readings as we read through the entire Bible every year, 15 to 20 minute reading for each weekday, Monday through Friday, and then uh, the whole Bible, the entire Bible, word for word, every word, every word, every every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible uh, itself. In some way, I used to say this is a program. Not about the Bible. It is the Bible. That's what the focus is entirely, getting to hear the Scriptures. And then, of course, we consider it here on Sunday night. We talk about it and uh, think about it together. So uh, we've had one caller this evening. Her name is Tracy. You can give us a call as well, 210-340-9585. At the end of our program, at the end of this segment, we're going to have a drawing, and someone is going to win a beautiful brand-new Bible from uh, Tyndale Publishers, uh, the New Living Translation, all of the, a great study Bible with all the maps and all the commentary and all the uh, the, the comparing of verse to verse and, and going. It, it's a great, great study Bible. It'll be a tremendous asset to you and would love to give it to one of our listeners tonight. So give us a call if you'd like, 210-340-9585. Let me put out a question or two uh, that you might want to try to answer. Uh, In the week before his crucifixion, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, on the back of a donkey, fulfilling a messianic prophecy by which Old Testament prophet? In In the week before his crucifixion, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling a messianic prophecy by which Old Testament prophes- prophet? Okay, if you know the answer to that question, give me a call, 210-340-9585. We'll put your name in the hat in our drawing along with Tracy, and we'll see who wins our Bible this evening. Uh, let me give you another question really quickly here. What story from the book of Exodus did Jesus quote to prove that there is life after death? Now, Jesus had already demonstrated this uh, in several ways by raising Lazarus, raising others from the dead. (laughs) Uh, And he had already predicted his own resurrection. But this is him theologically dealing and teaching from the scriptures the concept to prove, to demonstrate that the Bible does indeed teach that there is life after death, that our existence does not end when our physical body uh, is laid to rest. When our uh, heart stops beating and we take our last breath, our life is not ended. We, there is spiritual, there is a, uh, a spiritual existence, a life that we continue to exist uh, and to understand and live after even physical death. Jesus quotes a passage from uh, Exodus Chapter 3, verse 6, he quotes an an incident there to prove that there is life after death. Can you uh, tell me? uh, It's it's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. Uh, Mark 12, 26 and 27. 
So if you can tell me what story from the book of Exodus did Jesus quote to prove that there is life after death? Then here's another question for you. This is a who am I question. I was scolded and berated for anointing Jesus with expensive perfume only days before his death. Who am I? I was scolded and berated for anointing Jesus with expensive perfume only days before his death. Who am I? Who was this person? Look in Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, verse 3, and you can compare that with John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and we find the identity of this female, this woman. All right? Who was it? Give me a call if you'd like to answer either one of those questions, 210-340-9585. Actually, any one of those three questions, where was the prophecy about Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey? What was the story from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 6? What what did Jesus quote in um, Mark twelve twenty six? How did he use that text, that passage, to demonstrate that there is indeed life after death. And then I was scolded and berated for anointing Jesus with expensive perfume, expensive perfume, only days before his death. Who was that? Mark chapter 14 compared with John chapter 12. And then let me see. How did Jesus know that his followers would desert him? would leave him and leave off from following him, would desert him? How did Jesus know that was going to happen? That's another. That's four questions. Let me ask you. I'll give you one more just in case I haven't asked one you know the answer to. If you do know the answer, get on the phones right now, 210-340-9585, and win your opportunity to win this beautiful New Living Translation Bible. How did Mary Magdalene, and the other women know where Jesus' body was buried, was entombed when they went back on Sunday morning to finish the burial rites. One of the criticisms, one of those, the critics that talk about uh, try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, uh, one of those theories is that, well, the women went to the wrong tomb. So my question is, how did Mary Magdalene and the other women know where Jesus' body was buried, where his tomb was. And remember, he was buried uh, in the borrowed grave of a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. And by the way, that was predicted in the Scriptures, that he would be buried in the, in the if you look in, uh, in Isaiah, talks of 53, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Psalm uh, I think it is the psalm, or is it Isaiah, where you, it mentioned that he's going to be buried in the grave of a wealthy man. We'll look that up in a moment. I believe it's maybe Psalm 22. Uh, we read that, it seems like, just a few weeks ago. How did Mary Magdalene and the other no- women know where Jesus' body was buried when they went back on Sunday morning to finish the burial, the burial rites? So this would argue against the idea that they went to the wrong tomb. How did they know? Give me a call, 210-340-9585, if you'd like to answer any of those questions. And my question about the triune nature of God I've talked about already, don't think about mathematics. Think about relationships. Um, 
Now, I don't know that uh, maybe there's going to be some incredible wonder and miracle of of physics and math that we don't understand about the oneness nature, but we do understand the oneness of a relationship. When a, when we get married, we stand in front of a preacher, and at the end he says, okay, now the two, would you take this woman? Yes. Do you take this man? Yes. Then I pronounce you husband and wife. The two of you have now become one. And we understand this idea of relational harmony and oneness. Now, we don't see it perfectly carried out in our human experience. I remember uh, the first argument I ever had with my beloved wife took place about 20 minutes after we were married. <laughs> so we, we, we knew we had to grow a little bit in our oneness for sure. But the point is, is we understand the concept of oneness in relationship. Even on our United States coin, on our money, it says e pluribus unum. Out of many, one. And that means it's talking about a relationship. Out of many different states, we are we have become one. So um, we have so think of the of the Godhead and the Trinity in that sense of here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Don't think mathematics one. Think of oneness, harmonious oneness. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, but they dwell together in perfect relational harmony and oneness. Perfect in their love for each other, perfect in their character, one in their character, one in their love, one in their design and their purpose and their intent, I would say, and then finally one in their action. They perf- they behave and function in perfect harmony and oneness. We see that in the, even in the creation. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and it be, the world, earth became void without form, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And later on in John, we're told that, that, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. We see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all equally, perfectly, harmoniously working together, even in creation. So everything they do, they're perfect in their love for each other, perfect in their character, perfect in their uh, intent and purpose, and perfect in their action. Perfect harmony and oneness. So uh, think of that as a way to look at the Trinity, a, a relational harmony and oneness. And I think you will find it not only satisfying uh, in, in in terms of uh, intellectual understanding, it makes sense of it. But also, when you read the scriptures and you begin to see the, the tremendous harmony and oneness that exists in the Godhead, um, then at the same time, you'll be, uh, it, it, it's extremely God-honoring that that took place. You're putting these names in there, right? Uh, all right. Well, we got we got another name. Oh, we've got another n- name or two. Let me see the names again. Callers, they're on hold. Who's on hold? Okay. Oh, let's go quickly. Leslie is on hold. Leslie, thank you for calling in. I'm so proud of you and grateful for giving me a little company this evening. How are you doing? Are you there, Leslie? Oh, it took a little too long to get to Leslie, evidently. Um, Let me jump over then to Franklin, and maybe we can get um, Leslie to call back in. Uh, Franklin is on the line. Hi, Franklin. Well, what's happening here? Am I not getting? Bless you. There it is. Hang on, Franklin, just a moment, all right? Just a moment. Let's see if I. She's gone. Is Leslie gone for sure? 
okay. We'll come back to Franklin then. <laughs> Sorry about that, Franklin. I, I thought I might have hit the wrong button on Leslie. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, I love you so much, Debbie. Uh, thank you, my friend. Are you You're staying warm? Man. Are you oh, staying yeah. warm somewhere? I'm Good. in my car all wrapped up and, and listening to the Word of God. Will you be That's very careful out there on those slippery streets, okay? Uh, it's nothing. You just got to be. I'm a trucker. Oh, I and got so it. You have to, <laughs> All yeah, right. You well, have to just go slow yeah. and slow the tracks. And don't hit anything. It's not a problem. <laughs> well, tell anyway, me, my answer, friend, answer some of my questions for me, okay? Well, Mary Magdalene uh, knew where Jesus' grave was because she followed them. That's exactly she followed right. Them. Yes. And, and, and there's another thing I have to bring up to you. Uh, I I almost hate to do this. That's all right. Don't but, worry. <laughs> well, the Bible says, and the first command in the first commandment, God is one. Right. I, yes. I would challenge you to show me anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus said he was the same as God. He now you understand this. Uh, in in Judaism, in in the common parlance in that time, the son of a man was considered to be the same as that man, the reflection of that man. If you saw the son, you saw the father. Right. However, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus prayed to the father in Gethsemane to take the cup from him. That shows that he was not the Father. Jesus is enthroned and sits at the right hand of God. Oh, yeah. He is not God. There he is. is Jesus. He is wonderful, and and we should be so grateful for him. Uh, I praise Jesus every day, and I, I, I thank him for his sacrifice that he did. He was the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. That that saved us from our sins, but he was not God, and was he the is Holy, not. God. Was the Holy Spirit God? The Holy Spirit is the Word of God that goes out to us, but it's not God. The Holy Spirit is a person; uh, he manifests in oh, our okay, lives. Okay, so you, we, we we are together up to that point that the Holy Spirit is not an invisible force. He's not a he is a person. Yes, yes, exactly. And and uh, but he is not divine. No, of course he's divine, but he's not God. He is a messenger from God, just as Jesus was God's son. Uh, I think that the Trinity was propounded by the Church. After Paul's death, uh, probably two or three hundred A.D., and that's when they 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 said there were three instead of just one, and uh, it was a reflection of the times because uh, the pagans uh, worshipped, you know, many different gods, sure. and uh, uh, to make it more acceptable to the pagans. They they made a trinity, 
but it's not a trinity. God is one. I don't think I can agree with you there, Franklin. We're going to have to part on that, but maybe we'll grow. Maybe we'll learn from one another. But clearly, and it wasn't just a Christian doctrine, the the concept of the Trinity, of the triune nature of the Godhead, was already discussed and was already a part of the discussion and trying uh, seeking understanding in the Hebrew Scriptures centuries before. Uh, the The problem has been that, of course, it's always been looked at mathematically, that there are three distinct persons of the Godhead. Yes, God the Father it has all the characteristics of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will, as do the Holy Spirit is has all the aspects of, of a personhood. Uh, the Holy Spirit has intellect. We see clearly in the gospel, in the book of Acts, uh, he exercises will, free will and, and emotion. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Uh, and that the Son of God clearly is seen as God. As I just quoted John in the first chapter of John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus, and the Word was was God, was God, and is with God, and everything was made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And even in the Gospel of John there, the most theological of the Gospels, uh, as you ac- accurately quoted John 14, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Now, what I am postulating here for your consideration, uh, I don't think there's any question. I don't think the Trinity was something invented by some council years afterward. It was a truth taught by Jesus himself, the Father, the oneness of the Father. And as Tracy mentioned before, we saw, heard the voice of God, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, the Father. We saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove and Jesus the Messiah, uh, the we see the three persons of the Godhead. What I am postulating is not a mathematical oneness or mysterious one, but I'm talking about there are three divine personages that dwell together in perfect harmony and oneness so much, so perfectly that we can rightly and clearly understand that they are one, one God. And yet there are three distinct persons. Now, this isn't the idea. This isn't a God that anyone would have, envisioned or made up uh c.s lewis said that this is not a god that somebody would have created if they could or could have created if they would uh this is this is uh, uh but it is also i think very satisfying when we look into the scriptures well we only got just a few minutes left if you want to get in on a phone call i want to make sure i've got all of the names in the in the hat less is it less Hello. Hi, Les. Good to talk with you. Yes. uh, I want to answer that one question. It was Mary who who put the uh, expensive perfume on Jesus. It was not Mary Magdalene either, was it? No. It was Mary, the sister of? Uh, Of uh, Lazarus. That's right. And of Martha. Exactly. We see that. uh, We can clearly see that if we compare it with... The passage in John. Very good, Les. I'm so glad you called in and got your answer in there. That you're the third name in our hat for our drawing. Okay, can I answer? I I think that another question was. I, I think it was Zechariah that predicted that uh, the Jesus would. Entry. 
Pardon? The triumphal entry on a donkey. Right. You're exactly right. Thank you so much. I'm glad oh. you cleared up that for us. Let me see if there's any other one here that you might be able to. Uh, how about that question about Jesus uh, uh, proving that there is life after death? Do you remember how he, what passage he quoted? It was no, about I, Moses at the burning bush. Uh, no, I don't remember that one. Well, your name is in the hat already, Les. You've answered two of our questions. I'll give this one to you. Uh, remember what Jesus said was, when, when Moses was at the burning bush, God says, I am, present tense, I am who I am. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Yes. And Jesus said to prove that there is life after death, he said that proves that God, uh, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. So therefore, if Jesus said, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that means that, the God of, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must still be alive. And so yes. therefore, if God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then there must be life after death because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob have all died, but God says they're still alive. I am their, the God of Abraham. You get his point there? He's... It's a very powerful point because he, when Jesus finished saying it, nobody could answer him. <laughs> they were impressed at that moment. Les, I've run out of time, but I am so glad you called in. Thank you. You're welcome. Your name is in the hat. Hang on just a minute or two. We'll see who's going to win our book of the Bible for this evening, our brand-new copy of the New Living Translation Bible. Okay? Uh, keep listening to us. Yes. All right. Let me see that. And let's go. Do we have another call? No. All right. We're, John is getting the uh, information. We're getting set up here to have our little drawing, see which of our three, Tracy, Les, or Franklin, is going to win our brand-new copy of the New Living Translation Bible this evening. I'd love to give that. I'd love to give it to one of our listeners. And let me see if there's any question here that I want to try to answer before we run out of time. Um, we talked about Mary, the sister of um, Martha, and um, Lazarus was the one. And how did Jesus know that his followers would desert him? That was also a biblical prophecy from Zechariah chapter 13 said that he would be deserted by his followers and run away and leave him. So, uh, and then let me see, Joseph of Arimathea uh, from uh, Psalm 22. I guess that's it. We didn't get much into the book of Joshua tonight, but we will have all next week to talk about the book of Joshua, and we'll cover those first five chapters as well. Right now we're getting set up to have our little drawing. Uh, three of our different listeners have called in. Um, fishing around here. Let me see. Only where's one? Let me see. I got to see. There were three. You don't have. Oh, okay. Okay. We've got our three, and the winner of tonight's edition of the Bible is Tracy. I tell you what, the females are winning. Tracy Boggus <laughs> is calling. Is one tonight. So, Tracy, uh, we're going to have the Bible here at the radio station, 
And you can get come by at the radio station at KSLR. You can, uh, if you want to, you can Google it, find out the address, and come on by. I'll leave it here at the receptionist desk, <laughs> and you can pick that up this week as well. <clears throat> don't come exactly early first hours in the morning, if you don't mind. Monday, I'll I'll be able to get the Bible here in the morning hours so that you'll be able to come by this week and pick up your version of the scriptures. Thank you for being with us tonight, folks. We enjoy having you each and every week. May God bless you. Have a great week. Stay warm. See you next Sunday. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.